Jill, um, we had talked about Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. How long yes. Was that like a few weeks ago? or? I, I think so, because I, I had... Uh, it was one of my Beyond Criterion picks, because uh, uh, Kino Lorber Studio Classics just put out a Blu-ray of it, and uh, I love that movie so much. So yeah, that's right, and I bought that Blu-ray. Yeah. I brought yeah, Sip, uh, and uh, and I watched it, and I won't even watch the commentary too. Um, and it, uh, yeah, that's such a so I, that's right because I I had seen it when I was a child, but I had no idea what film noir was. Mm-hmm. I was like, why why are the, all these old movies showing up? <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. seeing it now, I've seen all for the most part those old movies, and uh, very clever. Loved it. Uh, have you seen it, Craig? Yeah, it's been a long time. This is Steve Martin, right? Yeah, yeah no, I, de- I definitely saw it because I would see everything that Steve Martin was in, and I'm, I'm kind of like 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 you, Aaron. Probably when I saw it, I didn't really understand what film noir noir was. You know, I was like, "What? This is this is a really funny way of talking." But uh, yeah, no, definitely <laughs> saw it a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah you, I think right? I probably first saw it in middle school. I think, and again, I knew it was riffing on old movies, but I. I don't think I fully uh, understood, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't until I, and then when I, I've seen it many times, cause like you guys, I'm a huge Steve Martin fan. My favorite comedy is the jerk. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I love all of the films that, uh, that uh, Martin and, and uh, Reiner made together. And, uh, but when I, you know, rewatched that movie and as I got older, uh, being able to pick out all the, all the films that they edited in is pretty cool. Yeah, that was so much fun. It was almost like, you know, little treats here and there and mm-hmm. very clever. I, I don't think a lot of people could have pulled it off uh, other than Steve Martin um, because yeah. he's really not like your private eye character. And um, and he played it a little bit straight, too. But, but yeah, yeah uh, like um, Notorious was in there. And I thought of us because oh, yeah. we've, we've done a show on Notorious and they even worked in the key thing. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Reiner, Reiner is such a had such a love of classic movies. Um, and so you can tell that as fun as it is, and it's, it's all, very much um, homage to mm-hmm. so many of those, those good classics. Yeah. You can tell there was a lot of love for a classic yeah. film. I, that, that, I like that. That's a very, you know, unlike some of the other satire films that we've seen yeah. that kind of take films down, you know, this kind of yeah. brings them yeah. up. So yeah. yeah Craig, what year did it uh, release? I'm trying to remember. Do you know what, was, when it was out? Off the top of my head, I think maybe 84 ish, maybe, maybe uh, 82. Third film they made together. Don't quote me on that. I want to say maybe eight, 82, 83. Okay. Yeah, good stuff. Um, and, and there weren't many films like that <laughs> during that time. So it was very uh, unique for the eighties, but anyway, um, 82, 1982. 1982. Yeah. It was 82. So, okay. So we have uh, Craig Turleson, your first time on the show, uh, but I'm very excited to talk to you for a few reasons. Uh, I'll just say that we, um, we've had, we talked about Matthew Asprey-Gear's classes, and he's yes. been on the show before. Uh, I've talked about the noir class numerous times, and Craig, we were in that class together, so uh, it was great to be acquainted with you. I think we kind of clicked, had fun um, yeah. as classmates. and uh, passed, passed notes, passed notes in class. We know? did. <laughs> <laughs> Some hearts and candy 
Yeah. So um, no, but do you like me? Check yes or no. <laughs> yes, I was doing that all the time, and Aaron would never respond. I don't know. So. And did you guys get in trouble? Did you get caught by the teacher? We did. Detention. <laughs> Detention was just watching more movies, and that was fun. Yeah, he, oh, wow. he he found the note, and it was like, which noir do you love? Um, <laughs> and he read it for for the for the class. But Craig, uh, yeah, the reason I really wanted, I mean, I I, I love what you had to say in class, but um, the cool approach that you had is that you are a crime fiction writer and I got to read a little bit of, of your recent um, Man of Seek and, uh, and I thought it was really neat. I was impressed. I mean, not that like, <laughs> I had low <laughs> expectations, but, um, but w we had read some hard boiled fiction in the class and, um, and it felt like an extension of that when I was reading your work. So, so welcome to the show, Craig. Good to have you. Oh, it's, it's great. I, I love it, too. I mean, I think I, I'll just, you know, agree with you there, Aaron, that, that we really I feel like I click with you in class. We were talking on Twitter afterwards. And what I love that Matthew did for this, I think it was the first go at it, right? The first time he did the New York class. It is. Yeah. Um, and he joining it up with uh, classic crime writers. I was like, oh, like I'm so in for that, <laughs> you know, because I because I'm always like I, I have a very busy life because I. I work full time at a university, but I'm also a writer and I'm also always have about three side hustles going on. So I want to go, oh, can I do this? And then, you know, he puts on this class where he's going to be looking at crime fiction writers. And I said, oh, damn. OK, yeah, yeah I have to find time to do this. And it was fantastic. It was. And and, and yeah, and your perspective bringing that to the class was uh, very valuable. And and yeah, I, I dug the readings, too, especially the earlier ones where we mm -hmm. read like Carver and Chandler and um, the Continental Op. I think that was probably the biggest, uh, the best um, pleasant surprise. Uh, really good stuff. Actually, I, oh, I, yeah. I, I can see that in your work, Craig. Oh, wow. OK. I mean, that's amazing that you put me in the same room but um or even same block like um that was the surprise for me too i think like uh both you and i went out and got the book right away it's a great the, book the, the it's fantastic and i was i don't know if i how familiar i was with with hammett i mean you said carver like, oh sorry yeah yeah no no i really love carver course. too yeah. but uh it was chandler right and i was more familiar with chandler so hammett was the discovery and i went this is clean, tight prose, and I just loved it. So yeah, I've been, I haven't, that book's huge. It's like 800 pages. It's massive. And I'm still like, <laughs> I, I dip into it once in a while for sure. And the nice thing is you can just read chunks of it and, uh, and it's just, yeah, it's very, very pleasing. So, and it's also November 6th uh, when we're recording this. And this is actually the first time I think we've really done a Noir Vember episode. Mm. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that more. But, um, but Craig, first, you want to talk about your work a little bit? And uh, what, maybe what what drove you to um, to write crime fiction uh, the and the uh, the Luke Fisher Fisher series is that what right? Yeah, that's Luke Fisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I sort of um, kind of I guess the way to say it, I kind of accidentally started writing crime fiction without really knowing I was writing crime fiction because um, I mean genres in publishing are all just sort of. Um, you talk to writers and, and there's lots of controversy around what's what actually is crime fiction and what's not. But I started out as a literary writer. I was writing literary novels. And um, I think that crime kept sneaking in there, uh, probably because early loves of people like um, I loved uh, Donald Westlake, uh, read all this stuff as a teenager. And I kind of snuck in. And But what happened is I'm a writer who can't stay in their lane. 
You know, I, 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 I really can't. You know, I, I've tried so hard. And, and um, my, one of my first novels, Correction Line, was a literary novel that the problem with it selling, I had an agent at the time in New York, and he said, well, this is a literary novel with too much crime in it. And it's a crime novel with too much literary in it. It's like, oh, come on. It's like, you know. And so that's been a struggle. So I went through, without going the, the long sort of history of, of, of agents, publishers, and all these various things, I, I will say I kind of just got pissed off. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to write something that's really fun, that I love. I What do I love? I love antiheroes. Uh, I love antiheroes from the 70s. Uh, I love crime fiction. So I sat down and I banged out the first novel for me in nine months, which is actually short for me. Uh, I wrote I wrote the first Luke Fisher novel in nine months, the first draft of it. And I went, oh, I'm, I'm a crime fiction novelist now. Okay, <laughs> I should learn what that is. I've got this book here. It's really funny. I bought this book. It says how to write crime fiction. Yeah. Good. So I studied that. <laughs> was it was it for, for dummies or for? Well, I was like crime fiction for dummies. It is almost dummies, but it has this breakdown of all the different, you know, like the cozy. I had to learn what the cozy was, and 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 um, do you know what do you know what cozy crime fiction? No, is? I was gonna I was gonna ask you to explain that. I think it's oh, a, okay. a piece of fabric that holds your beer. Isn't that it? It's a cozy. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Later, it's on your head. Um, yeah, no, the cozy <laughs> is crime happens, but nothing graphic, you know, it's like, okay. it's like mm. murder, murder happens, but the body's just kind of over there. We're, yeah. we're not, we're not talking about, uh, you know, serial killers and stuff. So you think, even though I, maybe she'd resist this, but the, the real Louise Penny, who was really internationally known, um, I would see her as a cozy writer because people are always dying in her small town. But you never see anyone get their arm cut off or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, and then there's and then crime fiction breaks down because crime fiction breaks down into um, into hard boiled, into noir, mm -hmm. into neo noir, and all these various things. And and um, so it's actually a very wide field. And there are some that I would consider that happen to write crime fiction. And so I guess um, I, I feel like I fall in that somehow. Um, but I wrote Luke Fisher because I wanted to just have a lot of fun. And and Luke yeah. Fisher, who's the novel you're talking about, Aaron, um, that's the next one in the series. They're just a lot of fun to write. Mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot of write, fun to write that character. Yeah. Yeah. I, one, one thing that jumped out at me is that uh, a lot of the exposition is through dialogue. And uh, and I, I also saw that with the old, uh, like Hammett and, um, and the other crime fiction writers. And, you know, I, I want to challenge your agent. Um, you know, I, I think there's been some crime fiction that's very literary. Um, yes. I, mean, I think Heisman yeah. account. Um, uh, I'm not as uh, an expert on crime fiction. I'm sure you are. But um, but anyway, I'm glad you enjoy it. And uh, it's good stuff. So uh, who did, did you mention? Did you mention Heisman? Huh? Uh, Highsmith. Oh, Highsmith, Patricia Highsmith, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, and often these yeah. classics that we we saw in in, in class there, mm -hmm. like Chandler's, Chandler's Literary, Hammett's Literary. Absolutely, Definitely. absolutely. And we'll get so, into the class. I mean, maybe talk about some of those But you'll writers. never find it in a literature section at the bookstore, though, which hacks me off. <laughs> but you know, uh, there's a there's a used bookstore I like to go to all the time, and trying to find. Uh, you know, all those classic yeah. crime novels is 
it's impossible to find because they put them in like such a weird little area, you know, I'm like this needs to be with the, with the rest of the classic mm-hmm. literature. But, yeah, you're you not going to find Highsmith with James Joyce or anything. <laughs> but, but, but you should, I mean, and you I should. think you should, yeah, you should. And, and it's the same Jill. It's like, it's the dark little area of the bookstore. You go, yeah, go over there. There's the <laughs> maybe crime. It's appro- maybe that's appropriate. You so know, crim- but... criminals are over there. Right? You know? <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of writers that I would like, you know, put in there. And, and, and one that, another cross genre writer who's done okay is uh, Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. I, I thought of, yeah. He's done pretty good, you know? And, and so he definitely has some literary fiction, but, um, you know, no country for old men. That's totally. a crime novel. Totally. It's a crime novel. And very it just, literary. It happens to be written by a brilliant literary <laughs> writer, you know? Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, let's get into noir member if that's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Jill, I I know you are close with um with Mariah. Uh, what's funny is yeah. I, I I tweeted something about um uh, Noir Member uh, watching a film and I immediately got a retweet from Noir Mariah. Oh yeah, and I was like, she oh great. Follow, yeah, she follows uh you know any she'll follow the tags or you know mentions of anything on Noir Member. She keeps she keeps kind of a log of everything. Mm-hmm. And so you know for those of you, it, this is one of those things where um you know, it's like the manic pixie dream girl. Everybody does. It's that's been around forever, but no one knows who coined it and mm-hmm. who coined it was Nathan Rabin. And, you know, same thing with, uh, November. November, uh, was created by my very close, good close friend, Mariah E. Gates. And she, it kind of was born out of, uh, she was, I think this was maybe right after she was done with graduates or maybe she was in graduate school. At any rate, it was some period of transition where she was, uh, had moved back home and was living in the, the back of her parents' house. And she just starts consuming, you know, all of these movies. It was like one year she watched like a thousand wow. movies. And she went on this epic voyage and she realized that she hadn't seen a lot of film noir. And she was looking at like the top uh, film noir uh, lists, you know, like IMDb or something. And I think she says in this, she was just interviewed for NPR's pop culture happy hour, which we can put a link in the show notes, but she, um, I think she talks about this more in depth, but basically she had seen very few off this list and so decided to to go on this journey and, and watch all of this film noir. And it happened, I guess it happened to be in November or so she thought, oh, I'm having like my own November. And then it kind of, and I think that was 2010. And so it kind of took off from there. And so you have... I mean, I just read an article that the Boston Globe just published about November, and you have all of these movie theaters, rep houses that are uh, programming November. Uh, Videodrome, our local uh, video store here in town, they have a November uh, section, which actually Mariah, when she lived here in Atlanta, when she was working for uh, Turner, uh, would actually help curate. Uh, stuff for them so um it's kind of taken on this life of its own and it's definitely entered into the uh the pop culture lexicon which is really cool because it gets 
people watching these great movies. And uh, so I wanted to make sure that our listeners knew that that's where where this all started was with Mariah. Yep, she. Do, I've noticed that she does not always get mentioned or credited. She uh, very but, rarely does. Yeah, but she has is, a group, a Facebook, Twitter. I mean, yeah, the, as you mentioned, yeah. the tweets. She probably had a 200, 300 yeah. tweets that first day. I mean, the. I mean, she does have some people that will give her props, but it. it, it that's kind of what happens in these you know, scenarios where you've kind of, you've coined, I mean, mean, it's just like Mm -hmm. the, um, you know, April, uh, rain on Twitter, she came up with the rainy day jobs or, um, you know, there's all, you know, all these kind of movements that get started or, or hashtags or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, however you want to, however you want to phrase it, but uh, they get coined and then the uh, I mean, even like TCM party. I mean, yeah, a lot of the people that do TCM party, they have no earthly idea how it started. Mm-hmm. Which it started <laughs> of a, it was like a core group of us classic Hollywood classic film Twitter people in like 2010, 2011. I think it was 2011. And there was a TCM did a drive-in. Uh, it was called TCM drive-in that, that summer. And we were all, it was all these B pictures that they were showing. And we were all like live tweeting along with, with this. And out of that, uh, and it was like 50 or a hundred of us, maybe it was a really small group. That's the great thing about Twitter in 2011 is it wasn't what it is now. (laughs) And, um, we all tweeted these and then two things came out of it. It was drive in mob, which still tweets. They tweet every Thursday night and they watch some kind of B picture and then TCM party. And the people that created TCM party aren't even, <laughs> don't even <laughs> have anything to do with it anymore. And so people for, you know, people don't realize that. So, um, so yeah, the uh, I just want to make sure that Mariah gets her props on that because a lot of times, it, I mean, it's gotten so big that people mm-hmm. don't know where it started. So yeah, cheers to you, Mariah. Uh, yeah, hope, that's hope. fascinating. I never knew that at all. Like, I mean, I actually I came across the term on TCM. Actually, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I oh yeah, yeah. TCM thing. Yeah, hmm. uh, and what's funny is Mariah probably has a lot. To, I mean. She definitely has a lot to do with why that was on TCM because she worked for TCM. Mm-hmm. Um, she was uh, in their social media editorial and uh, she worked there for two, a little over two years, three years. And, um, you know, maybe eventually they would have would have gotten into that. But she definitely pushed them to kind of embrace that as you know, part of their marketing. And then that's when Noir Alley mm-hmm. um, kind of started getting kicked up. And so it kind of was a perfect, uh, perfect marriage there. Um, but, and I, I have to say, I mean, you know, Eddie Muller has a lot, uh, should, should and does get a lot of credit and Film Noir Foundation for- Definitely bringing film noir into the spotlight. Um, but I think November two coupled with that has really those two together. I really think have a, a lot to do with, you know, why a lot of these film noir are getting, um, restored. And, um, there's just been, there's so much, there's more mainstream interest in that genre, in that classic genre than, 
any other. Yeah, for and, sure. As uh, Imogen uh, mentioned a few shows ago, uh, slap mm-hmm. more on the on the uh, the series, and you're going to get more people or the, or the festival. It's it's Absolutely. amazing how popular it's draw, become. You yeah. can draw so many people into it because even though it is that, you know, we think of that, uh, you know, core time mm-hmm. uh, of film noir being, you know tail end of world war two maybe a little bit but really post world war two into like mid 1950s right yeah but we know that noir is still being made oh totally you know, yeah <laughs> people will argue that it's not i mean you have people that are stupid and purist <laughs> in a bad way where they think <laughs> well it can only be black and white it can only be immediate post world war two but we know for a fact that noir is still being made and everybody can identify with the the wrong man or or get you know the wrong man scenario or the the um film uh femme fatale or you know just dirty seedy murder prostitution <laughs> you know like it's all, all of <laughs> it's all the good stuff you know and t- television shows are being made and it's also wrapped into the gangster genre and so yep. i mean all it's all of it and so it's still being made um and so i think that's a big reason why it's still uh so popular and it draws in so many people it's good well, stuff i love it like you, you see you see it actually showing up in writing as well because mm-hmm. i mean going back to what i said about um my agent a while ago uh or my ex-agent um that um he said no one's reading noir you well know, that's bullshit I, yeah that's it, uh, it was total bullshit good thing you fired him <laughs> well actually he died oh but that's uh, oh my gosh but, but not in any kind of bad circumstance <laughs> that took and a turn I was nowhere near him <laughs> was it was there any happened. females near that, that, that any I, was, I was in uh where was i it was in the yukon so well, i wasn't even Sorry for but, his family. Um, Did not oh mean to my, shit on him. No, 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 no. Oh my goodness, that was not that at was all. Such not a at turn, all. That was such a turn of events there. Woo. It was just a, a classic turn, you know. But no, <laughs> um, people like Megan Abbott. I don't know if you. Ever, I mean, she she gets her work. Uh, she's a showrunner now for something on Netflix. I forget what it is, but um, she wrote a couple of noirs um, that put the femme fatale as the lead. So everything kind of changed, right? It was, it was right. very, you know, uh, one was called uh, Queen Pin, and I forget the other one, Die Another Day, or something like that. Fantastic books. And and so what's the good news for writers anyways, is just what you're talking about, Jill, is you you slap a noir on it and people are interested. So now Absolutely. when I'm putting out my books, I'm saying, hey, yes, this is a noir, <laughs> or you get into neo-noir or whatever. And I think what was right. great about class just what you're saying about the purest stuff, uh, Matthew really pushed on that to say, you know, when was this era? Mm-hmm. You know, when does it continue now? And then you slap on the neo-noir and when right. does that cross over? So I, that was one of the things that I found really fascinating about the classes, like what is actually the time frame we're talking about? You know, Eddie Muller does a thing. I don't, I don't know if he's done it recently, but I think a lot of times it gets posted to uh, – to the various social media accounts for the Noir Alley. And he does this bit called Noir or Not. Hmm. And, you know, it's it's his opinion, but I love that he has a very broad opinion of what constitutes Noir. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I think you can find those on YouTube or whatever. And he, he will kind of 
go with these very controversial films that people are trying to say, oh, it might have some elements. And, and, you know, I, I do like how he branches out on that. So really, um, I think it, I, to me, it's one of the most fascinating genres. It's mm. the one that you really, you know, you're talking about Craig saying that you have a hard time staying in, or you had a hard time staying in your, your lane, right? Yes, totally. Well, in this, you can go all over the place yeah. because there's there's so much variety, um, so many different different angles that you can go, and it still be considered noir. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, enough of yeah, that. Actually, hold that thought because I, I I think that's going to resonate with when we get into the what, some of our findings from the class. Because because yeah. we had yeah. we questioned some films, you know, are they are they noir or does it matter? Right. Even? And it was an interesting conversation. Right. Um, one thing I, I, I think noir is a great entry point into classic film because it's entertaining. Absolutely. It's absolutely visually ex- interesting and uh, generally high quality. Even some of the B films are, are sometimes surprisingly quite high quality. Some of them are actually some of the best noirs there are. So let's let's transition and talk about this class if you don't mind. Um, yeah. So yeah, M- Matthew Asprey-Gear, He last year he started these class series. Um, you know that's. I hate to say positive aspects of the pandemic, but because you know it's pandemic, it's not positive. But I think just the way we consume media, the way we interact uh, virtually, that has evolved to um, you know allow something like this, something like, like these classes. And I'm glad that you know I'm not going to say we're in post-pandemic yet. However, things are certainly better than last year, but they're continuing. And um, and it's it's nice. He, he he's in actually Scotland, believe it or not. So he has. A class for European people and a class for uh, you know, North America, uh, just for for time's sake. And uh, and ours was at six p.m. on Sunday, which is like midnight for him. So, cheers, oh. Matt! For, oh wow! <laughs> for for being a night owl for us. But he, the one thing he did, and uh, and and Craig, I'd love to hear your um, thoughts, especially about the, um, the the writing. Is he approached it? With uh, the some of the major films, but he didn't, um, you know, he didn't include like Sunset Boulevard because most likely people that are interested in a noir class have seen those films. Uh, he didn't do The Big Sleep, uh, but he did start with um, with The Maltese Falcon because I think you kind of have to. Yeah. And he started with an article uh, called or a short story uh, called Flypaper by uh, Dashiell Hammett, which was amazing, and I think that set the stage. Um, and and yeah. Um, you have anything to add, Craig? Yeah, I mean, I I think that you you got it there in the sense of like there was no really oh yeah this this is the classic the film or something you know whether it was Sunset Boulevard or whatever. I mean, he does include um, Touch of Evil, mm-hmm. which um, I think some people and I'm going to say this wrongly call like the last noir because that's I'm back to what Jill was talking about. I think these are continuing to be made, but. Um, Maltese Falcon was a good place to start for sure, because it's, it starts with a classic, you know, he even calls each of his lecture things like he called his first lecture, the Seamus, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the detective. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to watch how the detectives change. I mean, I really like the films that he picked because, you know, there, there's an arc there. Definitely. If you look at, um, you know, the Maltese Falcon detective, so then you go into the later films where the detectives really change and law enforcement changes. And, mm-hmm. 
it was a really fascinating path to go down to yes. see, especially as, as a writer, to kind of go, oh, oh, well, these are these are changing. Things are changing here about how how we even look, especially at law enforcement. You know, are, are they are they the heroes or are they the bad guys? You know, it's kind of it shifts around mm-hmm. all the way up to the seventies, where as we know, all the cops are bad guys in seventies. It seems like. <laughs> <laughs> And navigating the code too, you know, I think that was interesting. Oh, man. Sometimes how how they would get away with stuff, um, um, but but yeah, and and yeah, Maltese Falcon. I, it was great to watch it again, and um, you know, it is a classic, and it you know, I, I I get why it kicked off this period. Although the, there's arguments about which was the first noir, which are kind of silly. I don't really you know don't really care. Um, <laughs> I think. And this is a remake. Too. It is. You're right. It is. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But then we we got into um, some some different types uh, of noirs, and so uh, and some some of the same actors showed up a lot. Uh, of course, Bogey. Uh, one thing I love about uh, Bogart is, and seeing a number of his films during this course is, a lot of people say he played himself a lot, and I will challenge that uh, because I will challenge that too. Especially seeing him play detectives or the protagonist of a noir, you know, the Maltese Falcon versus like, um, in a lonely place. In a lonely place for sure. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, a lot of I I can't remember. I'm forgetting. Or even the Big Sleep, uh, where Mm -hmm. he he plays a similar detective. Uh, That's what Chandler versus and Hammett. You know, it's it's very very different. Hammett or uh, in Hammett, uh, Sam Spade is kind of always one step ahead. Right. Marlowe seems like he was always a little bit behind, especially Big Sleep, because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, Which is wrong. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And even, even I think they, they famously asked Chandler in some interview to, to explain, and he's like, I don't know. You can't. I mean, I was just about to say that, like, you've got a Murder My Sweet on here, too. That's another movie yeah. I can't explain. If someone asks me what it's about, I go, <laughs> uh... <laughs> It's good. I love it, but I couldn't tell you a damn thing about it. Very you know? good. Yeah. Oh, but what a treasure! I mean, that thing. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a few that I mean. I had large gaps in my noir knowledge, and Dick Powell as Marlowe. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. tell you. To Bogey, he as was Marlo. great. Different. different I love it. Very it's, different. A, it's a different vibe, and you know, I have some friends that. So so for those of you who don't know, Dick Powell. <laughs> had a very interesting career because he, he started out in all of those Busby Berkeley musicals and he was like a song and dance man and a cute romantic lead. And, you know, he was in, uh, I, I love the Preston Sturgis, um, film, um, Christmas in July, just a very kind of cute, uh, uh, you know, leading romantic leading man. And then all of a sudden he starts making these, uh, you know, Westerns and gritty noir. And, uh, he's, you know, he doesn't look young and cute anymore. You know, he's, (laughs) he's kind of, you can, you know, that 10 pack a day, lucky strike habit has really caught up with him. (laughs) And, and he's also, you know, he's venturing into directing, you know, television and he had a very fascinating career and I I love both eras and I have some friends that are like they cannot it's either they can see him as the song and dance man or they see him as uh you know the kind of grizzled you know western noir guy but they cannot see him as both 
And mm-hmm. I am like going back and forth. But I mean, I can watch <laughs> him in, you know, um, Gold Diggers and then immediately watch him in Murder My Sweet and be like, give it to me. Like, absolutely <laughs> have no issue. What kind um, of makes it, it makes it better somehow. It's just like, yeah. I you, think so. It's a different, where so. you, you imagine the, 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 the arc of his own pretend life. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, he started here and then he became here because two different I, lives. I mean, two different was, lives, you know, and I, I want to be, I want to be, I don't know if you allow controversy on your podcast, yeah, but, and, but you know, Powell as Marlo for me is, is better than bogey as Marlo. I, I, I think I'm with that. Totally, but the funny totally thing is different. if you had told me that Dick Powell was going to play um, Marlo before I'd seen the movie, I would have thought there's no way that would work. Um, and it the just... fact that he lights a match on a, a statue of a cherub on its ass, its ass <laughs> crack, yes. that's everything. I mean, th- that motion, it's such, it's, that's such a great moment. And it's mm-hmm. so, there's not even, it's so natural for him. Like that, <laughs> I, I love that. He's great. I, and, and I love Bogey. I do, I, you know, but this is. It's just different. I, I agree with you, Craig, but I think I prefer Pal. Well, one yeah. more on, on the Murder by Sweet thing. That, that I mean, first thing, when I saw him like the match on the cherub's ass, my, my first thought was like, how many takes did that take? You know, <laughs> was like, because it did look so incredibly natural. But yeah. the other one is the dream sequence, the druggy yes. dream sequence. Yes. Like I went, I was checking, mm-hmm. what year was this made? Yeah. Right. And I was like, that's to be, wow. That's Edward Dietrich for you, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and it, and it's almost like there's cobwebs when yep. they're showing, you there know, the effects on the screen. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's, um, so I, yeah, that dream sequence is so trippy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and of course, Claire Trevor and, you know, I, uh, I, I love that. I'm probably going to put that movie on tonight. I love it. <laughs> good. Good. Well, um, other actors came up a lot. I, there was a lot of Robert Ryan, uh, different um, perspectives yeah. of him, and, and man, he is—he's the best. Uh, man. I think my, my the favorite, the best new to me. Um, and Craig, I'm cur- curious what what new to you film uh, you love the most. But the the first one for me, it's it's also kind of one of those borderline, you know, is it a noir? Is it not a noir? Um, was the setup? I, yes, I, I knew uh, you were going to say that. Yeah. And he is, oh, Ryan, is, I think that was the performance of the class. I just loved him in that. Um, I, I don't know, Craig, what do you think? Do you have a discovery? Well, I'm, I'm kind of just laughing because I made a couple notes here, and I, I said, quote, unquote, the discovery was Robert Ryan, especially the setup. Oh, my it, God. High five. So that's why we were kind of, <laughs> kind of buddies here, right? You know, But, oh, Robert Ryan. I mean, I mostly knew him because I'm a huge Peckinpah fan. Mm-hmm. And I knew him from the Wild Bunch and later later um, roles like that. So to see him in these very young, gritty, like the setup was oh, such a tight, tight yeah. film. And 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 it's just it's the clock is going every moment. And and Ryan, like I think a few people mentioned this in the class. He was a discovery for me, too, for sure, because he was acting like other actors were not acting. He, yeah, he was exactly, almost considered exactly like, there was no there was no method back then. But it's like. He's doing stuff that other people were not doing, you know, and I don't know if that was conscious or that was just Ryan, mm-hmm. but um, I, I loved him just in everything except for one that I hated. But uh, we can get into that. Um, yeah, he, he was I don't know if he was technically method, but he kind of felt like he really he, en- encapsulated the character. I mean, this is definitely 
pre method, but you know, the uh, most uh, classic film folk will say that John Garfield mm. was like the kind of the first proto oh. method actor, and then Monty Clift. Yeah, for yeah. sure. He's a big one. Um, but yeah, yeah, you Ryan has that that feel to him. Um, I love this movie. Um, I saw a, a, a screening of it with, and Eddie Muller introduced it at um, the TCM Festival, and they showed it at the Egyptian Theater. And I, mm. I will tell you that the, you know, this is a little over an hour. It's like, what, yeah, an hour short, 15 short, or something? Short, yeah, short and long. you can feel the clock. T- mm-hmm. the, this is one of those things where the clock is ticking, and the you're like in re, it 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 feels like you're in real time it, it's one of those times where the where the pacing of the film the length of the film it all is perfectly in sync and um i want to say if i'm i'm not going to say it yet hang on okay i got i got it somebody makes it is in this as an extra and i'm trying to remember but you, you, y'all talk, and I'm gonna look this up because I, I don't want to be wrong because I can't remember okay. if it's this or if it's, um, the killing. Um, well, well, I, I tell right. you what, I, I since since Craig brought it up, um, I'll ask. I was um was the the Robert Ryan film that you didn't like was that on Dangerous Ground? I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, okay. as you know, this is kind of funny in the class how that this happened. I mean, I didn't mind being asked about as a crime writer what did I think about this or that. But I, I think I had a bit of a reputation for trashing <laughs> some, some films. Yeah, uh, and, I did too. And I think actually, I remember Aaron, you saying something like, well, I'm going to say something about this before Craig trashes it. And I'm like, aww, I'm going to trash, oh, maybe I'm going to trash it. But, you know, as much as I do find Nicholas Ray um, interesting, um, On Dangerous Ground was was so uh, melodra- melodramatic even with the great Robert Ryan, there was nothing that could have saved that film for me. It was just, I don't know, it was total cheeseball. And maybe that's because I, you know, I listen to dialogue a lot and you mentioned it in my writing. Um, I, I love dialogue. And it just, there's something about it. It's like, no, no. But otherwise, I mean, I loved everything Ryan was in, but that one just didn't work for me. What's, what's funny is I, I, I was the opposite. I, I, that was one of my favorites of the, the course. I remember. And, it, and, uh, and, but the thing is, I, you know, I saw a little of that melodrama and how it was incorporated. And as we talked about, you know, you can expand the boundaries of noir and uh, bringing like Nick Ray melodrama. Um, it kind of worked. And also, I just love uh, Lupino was great in that. Uh, of course, yes. Ryan was was great as well. Um, do, do you have any other other favorites? Um, there's a couple ones that were like I couldn't remember if I saw Ace in the Hole before. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I watched Billy Ryle, Wilder's, there's a few films that made me gasp, put it this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ace in the Hole made me gasp. Mm-hmm. Like around the darkness and the cynicism and Kirk Douglas's um, character, I had a hard time watching it. I mean, in, in, in a good way. It just like, it's just sort of cut through me. And then there's another one, actually, another surprise on there was um, Lapino's uh, The Hitchhiker. Yeah. And uh, Hitchhiker is another really tight, tight, tense Mm -hmm. film with implied violence throughout it. You know, I I think about, you know, you talk about classic writers, um, uh, Flannery O'Connor, the way that she handles violence in her stories, it's, it's often off camera. Like her mm-hmm. most famous short story, "Good Man Is Hard to Find," all uh, serial killers killing a family off off camera, off book, if you wish. 
um, and it's super tense. And I felt that way about The Hitchhiker that like um, it's nonstop tension. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I was like, yikes. Yeah. And and regarding so Ace in the Hole is one of those films that, you know, I kind of thought, well, that's a noir because I had seen it. And, um, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's one of the classes I missed. Uh, and there's also um, one of my favorite films of all time, uh, Sweet Smell of Success, which, uh, you know, I think that's borderline, maybe not a noir. And, and that's where we had that conversation. But I think to um, to your point, Jill, about Eddie Mueller's uh, wide categorization, you know, I, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to have the femme fatale. We, we talked about um, Out of the Past is like the one that checks the most boxes of of the noir, mm-hmm. but it still works. Yeah. Is right. among the best. Uh, a lot of people think, of, I think we talked to Imogen about this as well, but, um, but sweet smell of success checks prop maybe the fewest boxes, but you know, it still, it belongs in the conversation. It, it totally does. Yeah. And just, I, I still can't figure this out. Somebody, somebody was in the background of either the setup or the killing. And so I'm just going to pretend like I didn't, <laughs> didn't even bring that up, but um, you didn't. No, I, I edited it out. <laughs> I, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you both love the setup. And I, on dangerous ground, is I get where Craig's coming from. Um, I I like it, um, but it's not my favorite. Um, but I but I do like it because it because of the melodrama. I'm like a melodrama uh, <laughs> freak. Um, and on uh, on Ace in the Hole. I love that as well. Um, and Kirk Douglas is vile in that. <laughs> yeah. And so um, and it probably uh, most definitely fits with his real persona in real life. So um, <laughs> may he rest in peace. <laughs> uh, right. But there was there was long confirmed uh, rumors were confirmed uh, or long um rumors about him were confirmed this past week. And so, um, and I'll let everybody look that up on their own time. Cause I don't want to forgot about that. No, I, I heard that story too. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I don't want to get the mood down, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's something that has been in the, in uh, swirling for years and, mm. Interesting. um, and it, and it finally has been, um, confirmed by a second hand, but still it's, it's totally believable. So anyways, I, I always think about this film cause my friend Rachel, uh, years ago, uh, or actually when Kirk Douglas died, she posted a picture from, uh, Ace in the Hole where he's looking at that cross stitch of tell the truth. And yeah. she posted that a as a you know you could have told the truth before you kick the bucket about what you did so i will be um, googling after the show for sure yeah uh, so anyways was, i i love that movie he also he played some slimy characters and also out of the past was an early one of his where uh, he was slimy as well but I, this is so, so fun i could we could talk about this for hours but i do want to get to um i want to ask craig so we went, this was about 12 weeks and we watched a lot of noir films, read a lot of noir stories. So, and I, I know you had just put out Manistique, I think, I believe it was during the class, if I recall, and I'm sure you're, you're working on something else. So, so did the class and all these, uh, these learnings, uh, inform your work at all? You know, it really did. I mean, and I knew it would because, um, I'm, I'm affected, you know, if I want to 
be inspired to write. I just read a lot. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that inspires me always is is film, you know, and that um, being in a class of people who are just all, you know, into it as much or more than me. And I learned a lot too, you know. Um, but I think what I most was affected by was storytelling because all these um, different films through 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 the arc had different ways of telling a story. You know, we didn't talk about, uh, what's it called, A Strange Life of Martha Ivers or yeah. something? Yeah, there's a lot, first a lot we couldn't talk about, yeah. Yeah, no, but anyways, but starting there with a 17-year gap mm-hmm. in storytelling, you know, where it's like here and then you jump, but also just the ways that stories can be told. And, and I think I was really affected by that. And you mentioned, I mean, I am a lover of dialogue. I've actually written a few plays that have been produced as well. And so dialogue sneaks into my work a lot. So I'm paying attention to a lot of dialogue and how is it? Because I had this conversation the other night, the way that people talk in noir film, does anyone talk like that? No, (laughs) not, not really. No. And the sweet smell of success, as much as I loved it, is very stylized dialogue, you know? So I I, I thought a lot about how do people talk, but it's more like, what does it mean to take a viewer or a reader um, through a story? And so I know that those kind of like, you, you know, there, there's, there's tropes and stuff, uh, but some of these first, you mentioned a Jill a while back, um, like you know, the wrong man or the person, like it's the out of the past where the person with a secret past. Mm-hmm. And I think about those, but in each of these films where they were the first one to do it or people kept reinventing things. And I guess that's what I'm trying to do in my work too. As I said, I know the tropes, I know them more now. How can I make them fresh? You know, uh, I, I mentioned Megan Abbott before. She turned noir on its head when she put the femme fatale in charge. You know, and I wonder, it's not that I'm trying to create something really, really brand, brand new, but how can I inject um, something new? Right. And so shoring up my knowledge of noir put it that way shoring up my knowledge of noir gave me a better foundation to kind of go okay so this is what we're doing right so deeply affected both both pieces that i'm working on right now craig you are you're a cookie full of arsenic (laughs) 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 that's a line from sweet success Uh, there's a lot that's one of the most quotable movies and the quotes are so random i just love that movie um what about favorites i think a touch of evil revisiting that i think i mentioned i watched it four times <laughs> so it was yeah. just so so good and uh, and i watched the different versions too and and that actually even seeing the the theatrical last you know um i still enjoyed it quite a bit but um that and sweet smell i think are my favorites just from the the syllabus i'll put the syllabus in the notes as well so that people want to look at the so yeah. do you have a favorite craig Boy, I don't know. Um, like, I, I'll say it this way: that as much as I liked Ace in the Hole, it was hard to watch. Mm-hmm. So, so it was it was not a comfortable watch. Uh, like, um, Wells' Touch of Evil is always going to be there. I can see that movie again and again. Actually, I got it. I got my son into it, and now he, he it's one of his favorite films too. I know. But I think actually, I'll probably go back to the setup. Just, just yeah. that was yeah. my favorite of the whole class. Yeah, that yeah. was uh, that was up there. And Asphalt Jungle too. I, yeah, there's a lot of John Houston. Um, so, uh, Jill, you didn't get to uh, participate in the class, but um, you've seen the list. Do you, any favorites? Um, out of this, I would say definitely the setup, um, the hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh, raw deal. 
Yeah. I loved Raw Deal. Uh, That's great. <laughs> I saw that with Marsha Hunt in attendance. That oh, was nice. that was wild. That was great. Um, I mean, I love all of these. I love, mm-hmm. you know, the the one that I'm probably about. I'm not a huge Naked City fan. It's okay. Yeah. Um, I think that. I think that was the consensus, actually, wasn't I, it, Craig? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. It's we we torched it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I but most of these I could, I could watch them over, and I, I've seen all of these. Uh, ex- we'll see. I've seen all of them. No, I haven't seen Odds Against Tomorrow. That's the one I haven't seen. Okay. But the rest of these I have seen. Yeah, we actually um, didn't get Underworld at USA because it's not streaming anywhere. Believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, not, uh, yeah. no, we did get that. We we didn't get um, Blast of Silence, which is on Criterion, but you can't. Uh, okay. It's not on the channel. It's on DVD. So Got swapped it. swapped in an underworld kind of thing. But um, on one thing too is that there's snippets of things like like we didn't talk about um, Sterling Hayden. And yeah. Hayden is someone that I would pay twelve bucks to watch shave. Because <laughs> oh God, I he's love great. him in everything. You know, and in Asphalt Jungle, just his presence mm-hmm. and his final stumbly uh, death scene, which I which I compare to um, Gadar, uh, like the um, Breathless, right? Yeah. There's a death yeah. scene at the end of Breathless, which is like they're, they're, they're talking to each other kind of stuff. Spoiler like, alert. Okay. Yeah. I, Sorry, it's, wait. It's, uh, but not, it's been not, not, not 80 years. Film, it's good. Film, <laughs> you know, I just love film. doing that, making people go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Well, just, <laughs> but anyway. Hayden all the way up to um, uh, Kubrick's uh, Strange Love, you know, uh, or, or um, yeah. long, long Goodbye, Long Goodbye. And I oh, love, right, he, right. Ha- he hated it. He hated <laughs> acting. He, or he, he hated, hated acting, I know. He absolutely yeah. loathed it. It was a job so he could go be a cranky <laughs> sailor on his boat. He hated, <laughs> he absolutely loathed it. And it kind of comes off into his performances and it works. Very it's much. Like, I know. He woke up that morning and went, shit, I got to go to work and <laughs> pissed off about it the whole time. Mm-hmm. I love him. His story he is, is amazing. Interesting too. But what's, uh, I, I can't remember what this, there's, he, he has an interview on a criterion. It, it might be the killing. And it's only like 20 oh. minutes, but he's just spitting venom. And it's one of the I mean, best. He's just, yeah. he was he, just salty, salty, salty. Very salty. Well, I, I read all that stuff afterwards, Jill, and I was just laughing about the whole him just making enough money so he can go sail and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I mean, and one of the things that I, I loved the language, like an asphalt jungle, you know, they're talking about hooligans. We need a hooligan. And uh-huh. then, you know, in walks Hayden and say, who's that? Oh, that's a hooligan. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He defines yeah. what a hooligan is. Yeah. I mean, have y'all seen Johnny Guitar? Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Speaking I mean, of that's got... Nick Ray, he did no some, wrong. That's some noiry, mm-hmm. western-y stuff mm-hmm. going on there. And, man, when he when he looks at Joan Crawford and says, lie to me, <laughs> oh, Oh, yeah, man. that's great, yeah. Uh, we'll get to it later, but I, I, I'm, I, there's an example of noir overlapping with western actually happened quite a lot because it was a, yeah. probably the top genres back then. Um, yeah. Anyway, I could talk about this all day, but I yep. want to finish just with uh, film books. So uh, noir books, yep. because we talked about Eddie Mueller's uh, book and um, and I yes. bought a Tashin noir book actually during the class. So those are both on my coffee table right now. Um, but for people that want to learn about noir and, and by the way, I would encourage you to follow Matt and um, take his classes. Uh, I think he just kicked off a noir and I know, and I, 
Craig, I'm going to ask you about the post noir here in a second. Um, but I think uh, he'll re repeat it again in the um, early next year. So, um, Jill, you got a book? I do. So, yeah, first of all, you know, we've talked about Eddie Muller's book. This is actually a um, revised, expanded of the it's Dark City, the Lost World of Film Noir. I think it was, what, three episodes back we discussed it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring it up again. This is a must have. Um, it is just a really excellent book. But the the one I want to talk about this week is not noir at all. Um, but it is timely because it's November and it, we have Veterans Day coming up, but it's Hollywood Victory, uh, the movie Stars and Stories of World War II by Christian Blavelt. Christian is the managing editor of IndieWire, and he's written this book. Um, and it is about going from the um, kind of isolationist into full-fledged home front uh, that, that that and propaganda and the Hollywood canteen and the entire war effort during World War II. And um, but a reason why I bring this up is because uh, to really get the vibe of film noir, you really got to know what was going on during World War II. Yeah. <laughs> and what was being put out there um, in terms of entertainment who was involved in the war, kind of what the attitudes were. Um, and then the fact that we had some noir coming out during World War II, not a lot, but mm -hmm. some. So you have like double indemnity, you have um, uh, the Maltese Falcon. So you have a, a few that are, that are kind of leaking out there, but really it, it, it starts hitting in 46, 47, 48. And uh, so to have kind of that stark difference of, you know, the optimism, pro-American, um, and then you go right into this, man, shit's bleak, <laughs> you know. And mm -hmm. and so this, this book is really, really great. Um, it talks, there's a whole section about the real-life refugees in Casablanca, um, we do get into like uh, veterans coming home um, afterwards. And so it, it, it does. Uh, and there's a, a huge section about African-Americans and during the war, um, you know, how the war was perceived and portrayed um, in film, the pinup, which also, kind of uh, goes into the femme fatale. I mean, you've got Rita Hayworth being, you know, plastered inside bombers. Um, and then, you know, she's uh, making film noir not s soon after this. So, um, and even like Jimmy Stewart, you know, being the decorated war hero, and then he comes home and makes It's a Wonderful Life, which is not a noir, but it <laughs> definitely has darkness to it. it. And then he gets into yeah. the Anthony Mann stuff. And so just... You know, I think it's just a good book for people to take a look at. And uh, Christian's a pal of mine. And um, anyways, pretty cool. We'll put a, we'll put a link in. Um, yeah, it feels like it kind of over complements or overlaps with uh, both Noir and also like The Five Came Back. I'm Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So is, all I of those recommend. together, Five Came Back by Mark Harris is one of the greatest mm -hmm. uh, books about that time ever, ever written. And there's a great um, 
doc, uh, like mini series documentary yeah. on uh, on Netflix too. So have, haven't watched that yet. So I, I, oh, I did read good. the book. So I wasn't sure if I would get much from watching it after read, reading. Read the book. Read the book, but watch it too. I think it's a it, it's very um, it complements the book very nicely. Nice. Okay, I'll check it out. I love the book. So a lot of criteria noir, um, and I, I don't think we really need to get into that. I don't think we, we have time to get into that, but there's like the syllabus probably Tons. half half maybe two-thirds are in the collection or have some yeah, sort so of connection if everybody you can just go to the criterion website do the filter on that and get a list i mean there's so much on there and then plus on the channel there's like yeah. a whole like yeah. what 31 films like robert Mitchum, which are not all yeah, noir I know. But I mean, there's <laughs> I so saw, much yeah. noir on the channel um, well, I know that's right. That's where I saw it too. I mean, that that whole what month do they put out the whole neo noir on the channel? Yeah, because yeah. Uh, that was and a lot of those films were in the class. Yeah, yeah. I, when I saw the Mitchum uh, compilation, I immediately sent it to Matthew. I yeah. said, "Hey, I know you're talking Mitchum, so this is yeah. treasure right here." So, okay, so for the remainder of the show, we're gonna mix it up a little bit. We're gonna do a little beyond Criterion, although I don't have anything. And Craig, I don't if you if you think of anything, you're welcome to to chime in. But Jill, do you have anything? I do, and it just came out, and this fits in with our noir uh, discussion because I'm going to argue that it needs to be in this discussion, and that is um, uh, the movie Fury, directed by Fritz Lang and starring Sylvia Sidney and Spencer Tracy, and you're going to go, Jill, wait a minute. How can that film be film noir because it came out in 1936? (laughs) And I would say... It is what we call a proto-film noir, and you cannot argue with me because I'm always right. <laughs> so um, so we have Fritz Lang's Fury, and Fritz Lang, we know, made a lot of different kinds of films, and, and later in his career, he made a lot of great film noir. And oh, yeah. um, this, this one has got a lot of the elements um, that we see later in the post-war film noir. Um, this is a wrong man scenario and, uh, you have, uh, Spencer Tracy and he's so good in this mm-hmm. and Sylvia Sidney, my God, I love her. And he is jailed and, uh, there is like, uh, like a lynch mob that comes after him and there's a fire. They think he's dead, but he's not. And so, um, great film love it that lynch mob sequence is so good uh, I, just, I just yeah i love that film too and i i don't think many would, would challenge you in fact i, I want to say it was michael hutchins uh, one of our listeners uh, friends of the show uh posted in the this in the group and um and i and i had, I'd seen it but i hadn't you know it kind of clicked i was like wow is that a noir and yeah he, it's got it's got components it, yeah. you can see you can see, uh, and you know, you can kind of, uh, that's really true for a lot of those like Warner Brothers gangster films, mm-hmm. you know, of the 1930s. They all have, you can see it there, you know, and a lot of it because of those early gangster films, they are World War One veterans, right? you know, that are, that are the characters in these films. So there are similarities. So you can see the the beginnings of this and, you know, the depression playing into it as well. So, but Fury is a great example of kind of that proto-noir um, before we get into the real, real angsty shit. You know, this, this, you know, mm-hmm. for 1936, I mean, it's definitely, the code is an effect. So, I mean, we get, we don't get as much as we would 
<laughs> if it had been made in 33 or really, I think it might've even been, uh, it would maybe be a little darker post post-war if it was a yeah. truly made post-war noir, but for 1936, it's, it's pretty uh, dark. I think, playing, I think, yeah, Lang squeezes a lot into this for sure. And you know, I'm gonna check it out. I've, I've actually never, I've never seen it, and, and I really like Fritz Lang. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, so it's really good. good. So this was so this is Warner Archive. Um, I think it's been out on DVD, but this is the first mm. time that it's come out on on Blu-ray, and it it just came out. So yeah. we'll definitely check it out. And you know, we, well, talk, we I mean, for me, like, I mean. Yeah, it's great. So go ahead, go ahead Aaron. Yeah. Sorry, uh, we talked about uh, pre-noir a little bit in the class uh, and the, the influences, and you really, well, there's really two major ones I think you, but you could make a through line from uh, M to Fury and then to ho- uh, Lang's Hollywood uh, work. And frankly, I think some of, I don't think there was any Lang in the in the class syllabus, but some of those uh, his his noirs were uh, are among my favorites. I mean, he just. Mm-hmm. What a director! And then the other one that doesn't get mentioned as much is the um, the French films of the thirties. They're Absolutely. very dark, and especially like Marcel Carnet. And I, we, we talked about this a little bit with Imogen, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. the, there was international noir um, that um, that certainly influenced Hollywood. And then I think the bitterness of the war kind of fed into that. So. All right. Well, the, yeah. yeah. Great to see uh, Warner Archive putting out good stuff. I mean, like there's, re- really still, good stuff. There's still life in them. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad. So okay, we'll do some short takes. We'll keep them focused on noir uh, since that's the theme of our episode. And this is just a, a film on Criterion that you've seen lately or somewhat lately. So Craig is our guest. You get to go first. What film would you like to talk about? The the film I want to talk about a little bit is. Um, Let's, let's put it under the category of Japanese noir, um, because I want to talk about uh, Colt as my passport. Um, have either of you seen that? Yes, I have not. I have. Okay. Good choice. Um, I, 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 okay, I will say this. When I found out about the Criterion channel, um, and I couldn't believe that it was going to happen, um, the main reason I wanted to be on the Criterion channel was for Japanese film. Because mm-hmm. um, I love it. I mean, Kurosawa is one of my main guys, you know. And then, you know, the Criterion has so many uh, Japanese films that I started exploring it. And someone recommended this film to me. And again, uh, under the category of not staying in your lane, uh, Colt is my passport is so many things. It's an American-style uh, noir through a Japanese lens with a really groovy spaghetti Western soundtrack. You know, and it's just like all these things are coming together and it's it's got this visual style, this kinetic energy that I just love. And and, and again, it's it's fusing things together. I mean, that's why probably filmmakers like Tarantino, I like because he's playing homage, homage to these films or even uh, John Woo, you know, bringing this stuff together. Right. So they this is this kind of hitman character uh, played by Joe Shishido, um, who is just really a Western antihero. Who happens to be in a, in a noir film, and the visual feel of this thing is, is there's a shootout in the desert, which I just whenever it comes on because I just watched it about a week ago again. Whenever it comes on, I rewatch the scene in the desert over and over again because it's just got this great bleak feel. It's black and white. The hitman's in the suit. Shishido's a very interesting guy because 
you know, we were talking about how Dick Powell changed himself. Um, <laughs> I know where Shido, you're going. <laughs> Shido, you know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. <laughs> Shido, when I saw this film, I, I got to say, I said, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> and it turns out that he got cheek implants. Yeah. And he got, <gasps> he got cheek implants to make himself just look more badass. I yep, don't know. It works. They look <laughs> like he got, they look like he was in, in another version of Ryan's The Setup because oh he just God. looks like he got hammered, right? And his cheeks are just as huge. And I go, that does, that does not look good. Mm. But <laughs> he becomes this big star and reinvents, reinvents his career. So he's the hitman uh, in this noir film. And um, it was just like, I love the mood. The, the mood of this film is what I want to try to capture in some of my fiction because there's Neat. something going yeah. on here. Yeah. You know, it's it. There, there's an undercurrent of again. I'll say the Japanese lens somehow that's happening, and um, even samurai. Like I'm all about samurai films as well. Um, there's some other stuff happening here, and uh, so this fusion of cultures. You know, it, it's sort of like we talk. You know, Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven, all that kind of stuff. It's happening here too, but under noir. Uh, I'm gonna I I watched this probably three times now, and I'll just keep watching this. It's Colt. Colt is my passport. It's great. Yeah, well, I'm at to check that out. Highly recommend it. Um, and he, also, he did Branded to Kill as well. I mean, he did a lot of those, yeah. uh, the 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 best of those gangster, I um, already Japanese noir. And I want to point out because uh, I, I mentioned Imogen Sarah Smith a lot this episode, and I, I think there's going to be one more. But she did a um, a video on this on the Criterion Channel um, about uh, Colts is my passport. So I, I I haven't seen her video, but I um, I, I I watched it. It's oh, did very you? Very good. Okay, yeah, I she's just always watched great. The other night. It's yeah. great. It's great. Yeah. Um, Jill, do you have anything? I do, and that is leave her to heaven. Oh fuck, I'm out. And... <laughs> <laughs> so you might be wondering. Can a film noir be in color? And I say, yes, it can. This movie is the most bonkers <laughs> film ever. Um, <laughs> let's see, it's 1945. It is in glorious, beautiful Technicolor. I have seen a nitrate print of this. Wow. Where the the color was dripping off the screen. I mean, it was it was insane. And it has Gene Tierney playing I she's just <laughs> deranged, just deranged. So, so, so very deranged. Cornell Wilde, uh, Gene Crane, Vincent Price, bless him. <laughs> There's just a whole scene in this. It's so great. Um, Ray Collins, you know, a lot of, you know, as you know, from the Mercury, Mercury theater troupe, um, just a, even Chill Wills is in this. God bless him. But um, Leave Her to Heaven, I just don't, I know probably a lot of our listeners have watched it, but maybe not. Maybe they were kind of put off by uh, it, it looking, because it doesn't look mm -hmm. um, like a noir or it looks like kind of a sappy melodrama. Please, for the love of God, watch this movie. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, because of this movie, I, I probably can't ever swim in a lake again. Gene <laughs> <laughs> Tierney. Oh, my. Oh. I also am kind of like, you know, uh, I don't ever want carpet again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's certainly not carpet at the top of the stairs. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, such a crazy because film. If I were to fall down the stairs, <laughs> I wouldn't want anyone to accuse me <laughs> of. So, uh, um, no, it, this the 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 color is so gorgeous. It's the, rich. Yeah, the the house that they're in um, is it Arizona or New Mexico? I think it's Arizona. I forget. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just the, the the sunglasses though, just the oh god I that mean, image. <laughs> but the, there's and there's like weird sexual horseback oh. riding with cremains and like weird daddy issues. I mean, there's just like and like I'm not a big Cornell Wild fan. Um, I I, I I think I've said this on the on mm-hmm. the podcast before. I've said it on some podcast before. I think he has like a really punchable face. <laughs> you um, said it here. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And, and like no offense to anyone from like Corona Wilds, like uh family that may be listening to this, but like, I just, I've never liked him. Um, but, but it kind of, he works out in this because yeah, he, <laughs> he, he just, get, he gets it in more, yeah. you know, like you're, <laughs> but even he doesn't deserve it. You know what I mean? So um, anyways, that's that's my movie. And the restoration, it came out on Twilight Time uh, several years ago, and that was a beautiful restoration. And then the, the Criterion is like super stacked. Although I have to say it is, you know, this is one of those like snobby things I have to say. But like after seeing it on Nitrate, it is really hard yeah. to put it in and watch it. So um, but yeah, anyways, it's a go- it's a gorgeous edition, though. So definitely check it out. And I want to totally. say I, I have to. I'm writing this down. Um, I haven't seen it. I've not seen it. <gasps> oh, oh, you have to see it. Yes. Yeah, so oh in God. fact, stop what you're doing. Don't write. Uh, in fact, if you want something okay. to influence your writing, <laughs> this this seriously. Me- I mean, yeah. it is. It is. There's just so. Oh God. There's so. Ah, so much. Mm-hmm. There's so God. much. There's so much. Yeah. I just got. I had a smile. I said, "Chill, Wills. I'm in. Chill, Wills. I'm in." Um, I, anything I, with Chill Wills, and I'm there. Damn chill Wills. I'm in. This has been very reoccurring, but I'm pretty sure Imogen did a, a yeah I know I know she did a a, a piece for this yeah. because it was amazing um, and that's I, I had the Twilight Time and I think that that supplemental as well as just the transfer was worth yeah. this. Um, the one thing I'll say I don't want to spoil it for Craig too much, but um, I I really like so, so one of my problems sometimes with noirs is how women are treated, you know, because the femme fatale is sometimes they can go a little overboard and you know, right. they but. And certainly, Gene Tierney <laughs> is just a little bit overboard. But the thing is, there there is um, a mental health aspect to it as well. There is, um, yes. and I, I don't know. I'm not going to say it's the most nuanced portrayal, but um, but Tierney just owns it, all, all of it. And um, I mean, it's and and also Tierney. I love Gene Tierney, and mm-hmm. you know, I just I can't she's just fucking insane in this movie. I, <laughs> you know, and I, and I say that because there is a mental health aspect, but like, it's yeah. so it's, she's just, she's a sociopath mm-hmm. and 
I just don't, I don't, there's, I cannot think of another, no one could have played this. You know, you think of like, you know, Betty Davis played crazy great Mm -hmm. and, and, and Stanwyck. I mean, but because Jean was so beautiful, gorgeous, just, just absolutely beautiful, like painted, painted. That's, that's Mm -hmm. her, her face is just, is art and she was so soft-spoken and so sweet and she plays so many beautiful roles in all these films but then you have her as laura and then or have her in laura and then you Mm -hmm. have her in this and um it's just so hard to see such a beautiful sweet face be so vile ice cold ice cold face ice cold yeah Uh, um so anybody that has not seen that, stop this podcast. Not you, Craig. We need you for a few more minutes um, and watch no, it right I'm now. Signing, I'm signing out. I gotta watch <laughs> it now. Really, it's it so really good. is just shocking. I it actually, is absolutely wow. shocking. I actually waited to see it because um, I thought it was going to be like a melodrama, like a Cirque melodrama, which are I love those too. But, you know, I when I'm ready for a noir, it's uh, I don't want to watch I mean, it. But it has. But it, it, has it does a little that bit, yeah. Element to it. Mm-hmm. It does have the the big sweeping, mm-hmm. you know, orchestral uh, swell that comes in at some dramatic. I mean, it. Ha- I mean, it's 20th Century Fox. Yeah, it has drama and drama to spare. But like, it's so dark, mm-hmm. um, and so it kind. It's got a whiplash thing going on there. So, oh, yeah. I can't wait to hear what you think about it, Craig. Yeah, yeah, get back mm. to us, Craig. Yeah. Um, mine, will, will. My, mine is going to be super brief, and the reason is because we're going to do an episode where this film is going to come up um, pretty prominently soon, and that is uh, High Sierra. I What I did is I watched it and then said it, because I've heard about it for years, and I it was my first time seeing it. I've been waiting to see it for a long time, but it's, uh, speaking of war, uh, during the war uh, noirs, this is a, a very important early noir. And um, and I just wanted to see if it held up, so I, I watched it, really enjoyed it, uh, and then I set it aside because I want to be fresh when we go into the next show. So that's all I got on that. <laughs> so I'll, I'll watch I'll watch the remake as well, and you know, uh, maybe three weeks or so. I think maybe uh, you'll hear more about that. So let's go into piece of flair. Um, this is where just anything outside of Criterion that we're digging. And um, Craig, what what have you seen lately? Yeah, well, I, you know, because of the class, I got turned on to the the podcast, The Projection Booth, which actually I had never heard of. And and they did, a re, I listen to it all the time now, and they recently did one on a Canadian film called The Silent Partner. And I thought I'd seen it, but I last night I watched it and I said, I have not seen this. And this was amazing. Um, it's a, it's a, what's called a Canadian tax shelter film without going into that. They had a whole bunch of like <laughs> in the seventies, they were going into uh, getting breaks from the government for making these movies. And a lot of them are really bad, but this is a kind of a sleeper, definite crime, noir, neo-noir, if you wish, uh, film with uh, Elliot Gould um, shortly after he had played in The Long Goodbye. Uh, Christopher Plummer plays one of the uh, creepiest um, homoerotic killers in in film. A very scary performance. And then you see all these like little Canadians pop up, like John Candy, an early John Candy performance. And what I loved about it is Toronto was Toronto 
because Toronto often in film appears to be Chicago or whatever, but they right, leave Toronto right. being Toronto. They, they show the CN Tower. They talk about Queen Street, the Eaton Centre, and actually the, wow. a lot of the, the, the bank takes place, uh, the bank, the main setting is in the Eaton Centre, which had not even been open that long uh, when, when they shot this, I believe. And so amazing storytelling, uh, no doubt Curtis Hansen wrote it, um, oh, who wow. goes on to do uh, LA wow. Confidential. Uh, wins an Oscar for that one. And so there's a, a lot of neat little kind of threads in this. So it didn't do well when it came out, but I understand why the projection booth wanted to get into it because this is a really tight, tightly plot. Uh, Ebert loved it. I went and read his uh, review on it. Tightly plotted film uh, with, it's really scary. Like there's stuff in it that it starts out kind of really slow. And then um, Gould is so good at playing the quirky every man but in a quirky way and by the end you're like i was grasping the tables like you know there's there's things that happen in this film that are just really like you're gonna go there and uh so it's very dark um and um i, I love the canadian content part of it last thing is oscar peterson the great jazz pianist uh, yeah. does the soundtrack and he oh, uh, wow. does very very few soundtracks so i super recommend hmm. that called the uh okay the silent partner Yep. All right. Going to check Very it out. Cool. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, Craig, I don't know if you know this, but uh, there's a, a, a Sammy Giuliano is currently doing um, a, a top Canadian films. And uh, there's a <gasps> post in the Facebook group. group so I um, I added my list, not oh. in the Facebook group. But uh, yeah, I'm curious if this one ranks. I haven't seen it. So maybe I'll go watch it and then I'm in my list. A lot of people, lot of people haven't seen it. Yeah, I think it's getting reborn a little bit, but I'll check that out on Facebook. Thanks. Yeah. yeah good, good films in, in Canada. Uh, what you got, Jill? Okay, so here's another one that people might argue with me about, and it's uh, Anthony Mann, mm. and it's The Tall Target from 1951, and this has Dick Powell uh, and Paula Raymond, Adolph Manju, and uh, the great Ruby D, very young. And mm. the reason why people probably argue with me about this is because it is set in 1861. Oh. So uh, <laughs> this <laughs> this is uh, uh, definitely not uh, post World War II, um, but it has a little bit of everything. It has film noir. It has a little Western vibe to it. There's shit happening on a train, and uh, there's a murder plot to uh, kill none other none other than Abraham Lincoln. Jill, spoilers, and... spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so but Dick Powell is a uh, former police officer. So right there, you've got you've got kind of the the noir thing in there. He doesn't have a ticket. But he is getting on this overnight train from New York to Washington, D.C., and he is convinced that someone, uh, a, a, a passenger on the train, is going to kill the newly elected uh, Abraham Lincoln. So no one believes him. There's almost there's almost a paranoia um, to to uh, um, Powell's character. And um, it kind of it has this noir overtone to it. Um, and so I freaking love this movie. Um, Warner Archive put it out years ago on DVD. 
and then um and I've and I've seen it, uh, seen a screening of it with Eddie, and Eddie says it's noir. So if Eddie <laughs> Muller says it's noir, it's noir. But um, it it's just a it's it's Anthony Mann. We're fans of Anthony Mann on this podcast, oh, and for um, sure. <laughs> so this is Love just one of those yeah. lesser known films, and it so check it out. It's cool. I just pulled it up and I see that Daniel Manwaring uh, wrote the story and he also did, was it, um, he came up in the class and he did, which one did he do? It was one of the big ones. Out of the past, out of the past. past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he wrote that I mean, too. And he had a had a um, pseudonym, if I believe. Uh, so he did. It wasn't credited as man wearing at the time, if I be, if I remember right. So anyway, yeah, I'm I'm all I'm down for some civil war noir. It's a war. <laughs> <laughs> pre pre, but pre right. But uh, but you know, it's and it's it's got that kind of claustrophobia because you know they're in. It's taking place on a train. Uh, there's intrigue. There's you know, so it's just it's really cool. It's, it, it's it, it maybe i'm not selling it no uh, you're selling it but, but it's, <laughs> oh, no, it's, yeah. it's yeah. got a little bit of everything and i what was funny is i you know i had recently watched this and i was trying to decide between the tall target and uh henry hathaway's niagara uh for my mm-hmm. pick and thomas was like do you know do tall target that do that one so um but you know if you haven't seen niagara go see that one too no, I, I I love I love man. I mean, he's another one of those ones that has this mood to them. I mean, I watched mm-hmm. again uh, Winchester '73 not that long ago, and um, some of his westerns have just this. It is a masterpiece. This dark mood, like you just mentioned briefly, Aaron, um, western noir, you know, and and I think that his I love the mood of man films. So this is another one I have not seen. I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. I hope you like it. I haven't either, mm-hmm. and I, I just checked, and it's not on streaming services. So buy a physical media if you want it. Yeah, um, and I don't even know if, um, like I said, I don't think they upgraded this to blue yet. And this came out on MOD DVD. Um, oh, it's been. I mean, it was like one of it, maybe the first year they they were open. So I don't even know if you can still get it. Um, you might be able to get it like. Um, you know, on eBay or, or secondhand or something, but, um, cause it, it may be out of print with them, but, um, yeah. And it may be available, you know, in other areas as well. Sounds great. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, um, <laughs> we, we talked to, with Imogen about the Furies too. And that's a very much, that's an epic Western noir and believe mm-hmm. it or not, uh, I have not seen Winchester 73. I've been waiting for, <gasps> oh, for so a release. So uh, and I, I, I have a feeling it'll come to a criterion someday. It was part, of, I, I want to say it's Universal. Um, or no, it's United, right? Wasn't that what part of their, uh, with Leo Wasserman when they, when they did their own thing? Yes, um, I believe I, so. Yeah, I forget. But, um, Aaron, back to the class. I think I know the one you're talking about. Um, Raw Deal. Raw Deal was Anthony Mann. Yeah, that, that's right. Rodiel was, and that was one of my favorites. So yeah, we we are big fans of Anthony Mann here on the podcast. Um, so mine is um, I. This is actually a little bit of a Beyond Criterion and uh, piece of flair, but uh, I'm a little behind. So I finally opened up the Indicator Columbia Noir set number two, and my goal will be to get through it during Noir Vember. Uh, maybe even if, if if I get time, maybe I'll get through number three. Uh, so I watched the first film, which is Framed, uh, 1947, 
and it was by uh, not an auteur, Richard Wallace, but he's done done some films, uh, and it has Glenn Ford, the wonderful Glenn Ford, famous noir actor, um, under contract at Columbia. I mean, he did what the Big, Big Heat, uh, Gilda, of course, a f- few others. Um, now, Framed is not the best noir I've seen. Uh, that's one thing with some of the Columbia noirs; they're they're pretty much all pretty good, at least. Uh, I would say this is on the upper edge of that. Uh, but very, very uh, different, well, not different, but a little darker. Like, um, it's hard to say anything is darker after we've talked about Leave Her to Heaven. But um, <laughs> but one thing that came up in the class, and I'll kind of connect it to that, is the um, the idea, the concept of film gris, which is uh, G-R-I-S for, for grizzly. And there was a period of time, I actually want to say it was around 47, where uh, they, the noirs got really, really dark and... Um, and really, really grisly and really uh, ugly, and there are some some parts of this that uh, kind of were shocking. You know, there, there's one character in particular. I, I won't give too much away because I don't want to spoil people that haven't opened up their Columbia Noir set. But w- one of the characters is just so vile and so conniving, um, just pure evil. But uh, you know, doesn't always doesn't always portray themselves as such. So they're able to hide it very well, and uh, and that's of course where the noir plot comes in. So I would recommend it, but the cool thing is, I was watching this and I saw, oh, commentary by Imogen Sarah Smith. <laughs> and so I'm actually 15 minutes away. I watched it up to like the last minute before we recorded the podcast. And so I'm going to finish it after this. But um, one, of the, one of the things she said, of course, any commentary by Imogen is, is amazing. And she always brings a lot of insights uh, really to everything she does. But one thing she talked about, and I think we've kind of touched on it here, is that um, a lot of the noir directors uh, entering that that classic period were actually foreign people, like um, yeah. uh, like we've already talked about Lang. There's Siadmac. There's um, Wilder. A whole, whole bunch of Wilder. others. Yeah. Whereas this one is, um, as she mentioned, Richard Wallace is almost the anti-auteur. But the thing is, Columbia, you know, they really had a system. For, for these noirs and um, and this one she said might be one of the more American noirs there is mm-hmm. uh, because even the entire crew is all American so uh, I don't know what that has to do with like the film gris part um, the the darkness uh, maybe are, are Americans that much vassals or is it just <laughs> just a good, good plot <laughs> but no a, a really really strong film also Janice Carter's in it um, Barry Sullivan so uh, I highly recommend well, of course, I recommend all of the Indicator Noir sets, and, um, and there's four so far, and I hope we get more. I, I don't know how many Columbia Noirs there are, um, if they've tapped that, that out yet, but uh, looking forward to what, what's coming from Indicator. Mm. Great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Bit. <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> so, um, so, Craig, where can people find you online, and where can people find your books? Uh, yeah. Um, the, the, the benefit of having a, a, an oddly spelled last name is I'm pretty easy to find, um, that, uh, I'm on Twitter under C Turlson. I'm, I'm, that's probably the platform I use the most. I'm on Instagram. If you want to see things that I cook, cause I'm one of those guys. <laughs> um, you know, I'm on Facebook, but I just sort of like uh, dabble in Facebook here and there. So the main platforms are there. I also have a, I have a, a blog that's been running for about 10 or 12 years called uh, Woo Freakin' Who. Uh, 
love that. <laughs> you know, which is me shouting about fiction, sometimes my fiction, sometimes other fiction. Um, and then you can, again, uh, I'm easily Googleable. Um, my latest release is called Manistique, which is uh, number two in the Luke Fisher series. The first one was uh, Surf City Acid Drop. Um, and those books are both, uh, you know, like Amazon search there or, you know, Barnes and Noble or something. Again, just search my name. And so um, that's where those ones are and the, the ones to come. I'm working on a, on a sequel right now. I'm also working on another book now, which actually um, involves a samurai, which is my uh, interest in in samurai films. And right now I'm working on a um, summer visions with a possible publisher in uh, in Colorado. So uh, I'm looking forward to trying to finish that and finish book number three in the Luke Fisher series. So it's a lot kind of uh, shaking, but um, yeah, just just go on the Google and there I am. You have some things going on. <laughs> I do have a lot of things going on at once. Yes. <laughs> Go on the Google. Um, all right. Well, I, I want to. I'm going to find the um, uh, Woo Freaking Who. Is that what you called it? Yeah, Woo Freaking Who is is like as it sounds, except without the G for some reason. So we mm-hmm. Woo Freaking Who, which comes up as my blog, uh, has been around for a long time, and I actually the first Luke Fisher was released on that blog as a as a serial. And then it, then it became a novel. So you can find everything's up there. I think it's like 10 or 13 years old. It's been up there for a long time. Nice. Oh, well, I just found it. So I'll put a link. Uh, I used the Google and it was right there. I'll put See, a, there's Google. It'll yep. be in the show notes. So um, so Jill, Jill Blake, where can people find yeah. you? So before I tell people where they can find me, I just want to remind everyone to uh, look at the filmnoirfoundation.org. Um, they... All of the, uh, not all, but a lot of these um, films noir that get restored, they're behind that. So like we were talking about uh, Raw Deal earlier, they were instrumental in that. Um, So definitely go check them out. Um, You know, Eddie Muller is head of that and my really good friend, Alan Rohde. And they are a nonprofit. So um, they have like memberships where you get... um, you know, their North city, uh, magazine, and then they do the, you know, noir city festivals all over the country. So just make sure you check them out. Um, so you can find me, uh, on Twitter at biscuit kitten. You can also find me, uh, uh, with the Patreon for the classic film collective, which is a group of very talented ladies who are writing, uh, creating poetry, music, uh, original stories, artwork, um, all kind of geared towards a classic film theme, although we have a very flexible definition of classic film. And um, and also just in this, as an aside, I was interviewed by Entertainment Weekly. That's right. Um, and uh, on uh, 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 Harold Russell's performance in The Best Years of Our Lives. And so mm. it's... Um, timed for veterans day. And so the interview is really just like a little, little column. And I, I, but we do get a, a shout out. The show gets a shout out in it. Yay. And that is on a new stands right now in entertainment weekly. And then I believe for veterans day, there will be a longer piece that comes out oh, online. That's great. Um, and so, sure. uh, a lot we of reasons. Will share that. Yeah. We will share that. So, um, check that out. That's it. 
they do it monthly now, which is weird. It's weird they yeah. didn't change the name, but uh, we we actually Andrea is a big fan of Entertainment Weekly, and I. I, I, it's. I, I guess I just read other things, but uh, I'll definitely <laughs> read read this episode issue. Um, yeah. Nice to get a shout out. Nice that you're getting some uh, some press. And yeah, yeah, thanks thanks for closing the, the this out with um, Film Noir Foundation. Uh, that that's a, you know, when, when you think about nonprofits you support, you know, if they align with your tastes and and culture, it, it's pretty cool. So uh, yeah. and and I, just, just on me, I don't think I've supported them before. So I think I will. So thanks for planting that seed. Yeah, I've, I've yeah, I uh, I've been a a member for several years now, and just knowing that you're contributing to, they're constantly um, working. I mean, a lot of the films we in, they're behind. Yeah. So um, uh, yeah. please, 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 and we'll put a, we can put a link um, to in the in the notes so yeah. you guys know where to look. Hundred percent will. Uh, so, okay, I'm Aaron. I'm AWES505. Oh, and by the way, uh, Jill's Twitter is going to be 100% less baseball going forward. <laughs> I know. Sorry, guys. I know I told you guys to come to my Twitter for all the movie and fun, but it's been like insane yeah. out of context baseball tweets. For, yeah, like... pearls and stuff. It's been a weird, yeah. <laughs> been a weird series. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I'm AWES505. Tweet a little bit. Um, Facebook's more my sweet spot. So um, I recommend you go to the group, the Facebook group. Uh, when this episode drops, we'll be right on the heels of the poll, the, the prediction poll for the uh, for the February an- announcements. So uh, those are always fun. Keep an eye out for that. And uh, if you want to listen to the unedited versions of the show or support Criterion Cast, there's a Patreon for Criterion Cast. And that's it. So what's a good noir way to, to close the show? <laughs> I was going to say kneeling bags my nylons, um, <laughs> but oh. I couldn't figure out a way to work that in. What's the code? So uh, actually, I think it, probably the most appropriate is we all get taken away by the police. Yes. Because cause we're yes. bad and because Breen says so. <laughs> oh, wait, I hear that. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, I got to run, Craig. I think. Yeah, you did. You had to run fast. <laughs> run fast. Okay, well, we're done. We, we need a voiceover. Can we record a voiceover for for, uh, <laughs> for this episode? Um, all right. Thank you both. <laughs>